Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So I love talking about the kingdom of God, and I love the implications of talking about the kingdom of God and engaging with this thing that theologians, people, men and women have dreamed about, talked about, envisioned for years and years and years and decades and millennia. What is the kingdom of God? I found this quote from Thomas Torrance this past week, and he says this, Uh, This is such a radical thing to pray. The prayers of the saints, that's me and you, our prayers, in the fire of God move the whole course of the world. They are the most potent, the most disturbing, the most revolutionary, the most terrifying powers that the world knows. Isn't that wonderful? It's a radical thing for people like you and I to pray to Lord God Almighty, Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And one of the main reasons why it's so radical and revolutionary to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done is because we've only known a place where we're living towards the opposite of that prayer. Powerful men coming to power and saying, my will be done, my kingdom come. And so it's so radical that a group of people or individuals would come to Jesus and pray to him, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, not my little kingdom, not my petty will, but your good kingdom, your blessed kingdom, your good will be done on earth as it is where you are. So what is it? There's so much talk about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? This wouldn't have been a prayer that is out of place for Jesus to pray. It wasn't even sincerely a revolutionary prayer that Jesus prayed when he taught his disciples how to pray it. His disciples would have been familiar with prayers like the, um, the Aramaic Kaddish which says to to God Almighty, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on earth as it is in, in heaven. But it was the way that Jesus prayed it that made it so revolutionary and so radical. To pray that the kingdom of God would come, Hebrew writers over the years and biblical scholars and commentators have recognized the kingdom of God as maybe a place. It's a, it's a place that is the kingdom of God. Or it's like God's uh, reign over a specific people. Maybe that's what it is. But really what we see Jesus praying here and what Jesus' central message as the kingdom of God being is the dynamic reality where God is acting as king. In the vineyard, we like to say that the kingdom of God is fancy language for his rule and his reign. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom follows and vice versa. 
It was prophesied about Jesus, and we're moving into a season here where we'll focus on this passage of Scripture, the the prophecy in Isaiah where we read of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, or the will of the Lord Almighty, will accomplish this. And so, this dynamic reality where God is acting as king is sometimes referred to as the day of the Lord in the Old Testament scriptures. The day of the Lord. And sometimes that's attached to these ideas of the great and the terrible day of the Lord. Or the great and awe-filled day of the Lord. And what the writers of the Old Testament were getting at when they spoke about the day of the Lord is this day when God's Messiah would come to earth and all of the brokenness that was introduced through the fall way back in Genesis when men and women fell would be transformed into a wholeness. It's what we read in Revelation, this vision that John sees where Jesus is wiping away the tears from people's faces. Where swords, we read in the Old Testament, are turned into plowshares. Where there is no more war, there's no more famine, there's no more lack, there's no more brokenness, pain, murder, lust. There's no more. And the effects of the curse of, the, of sin being introduced into humanity's bloodstream is wiped away. Once and for all, and finally, by God's Messiah Jesus. That's what the Hebrew writers are getting at when they refer to the the day of the Lord, that all creation would be restored back to original design, that men and women would be remade into the image of God, the Imago Dei. That the whole of earth, that the whole of creation would be restored, that God's new order would be centered in the person of Jesus, his Messiah, his saving one, our saving one. Jesus' central message referred to over and above any other theme in the New Testament was the kingdom of God. He demonstrated and he proclaimed his central mission for being here on earth was the kingdom of God. Sure, he talked about other things. And if you sat people down in a room and you asked them, what was Jesus' central message? You would by far get tons of different answers. People would say, well, the central message of of Jesus was love, or it was forgiveness, or it was um, unity, or any other of these themes that Jesus spoke of. But far and above any of those themes, Jesus came to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. It was his central message, and he talks about it in a few different ways in the scriptures. And those ways can be confusing to us if we don't unpack what he meant when he talked about the kingdom of God. If it was his central message, 
it would behoove us to unpack the different ways that Jesus talked about it so we wouldn't be so confused about it. So we'd get what Jesus says when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. We read in Mark 1, 14 through 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus said this, check it out. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And I put in bold there the word time and the phrase come near for a reason. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, let your kingdom come and let your will be done, what we're really praying or petitioning is that Jesus, in his Messiahship, would hasten or quicken the day of the Lord that his kingdom would come in fullness. Hasten the day of new creation when everything's turned right side up. The time has come, he said, or the kingdom of God is at hand, he says other places. The kingdom of God has come near. There's a couple of different words for time in the Greek. One of those words is kairos, and the other word for time used in the New Testament is chronos. It's where we get our word chronology from, chronos and kairos. Jesus here in Mark 1.14 is talking about kairos time. Chronos time is the order or the organization of ordered time. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, years, decades, etc. How we order or measure time. Kairos is this, um, it's the seasonal language. How do you know when it's autumn? Well, there's leaves on the ground would be an earthly example. There's leaves, the leaves are falling down. It's starting to get cold. It must be autumn. Autumn doesn't start on exactly October 2nd. Ever. Hardly ever. Especially in Cleveland. You may get autumn in July. You never know. You could get winter in September. Cairo's time, get it here, Cairo's time, when Jesus says the time is at hand, he's talking about um, the fullness of time. The season is full. The season has had about enough to fill it as possible, and it's ready to spill out. The kingdom of God is spilling out. The kingdom of God has come near to us. The kingdom of God is ready. It's at hand. It's come near. It's approaching. The season is full. It's just about to arrive, and it's already arrived. Or if it's a sunset, uh, sunrise, it's, it's just about to dawn, you know, the golden hour. It's just about the kingdom of God. The sun is just about to dawn and has already come in its brilliance. This is Kairos time. It's an opportunity time. The season's full. And we see Jesus demonstrating this all over the pages of Scripture. Well, that's one thing to say it, Jesus, 
But it's another thing for Jesus to demonstrate it. If it's his central message, if it's the one thing that he's speaking about, shouldn't he be demonstrating it as well? And we can see Jesus embodies the kingdom of God. He is the kingdom of God come at hand. In Matthew 12, 28, he drives a demon from a man. We can say that the kingdom has come there. In Luke 16, 16, we read this really important little snippet that Jesus says. And he says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed, check it out, until John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until or up until John the Baptist. Since that time, the good news of the, since that time, since what time? John's time. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone's forcing their way into it. Don't you love that? Here's the cool thing about that little word until and since. Is that everyone up until John the Baptist, ah, check it out. The Kairos time is full. The time is ready. John the Baptist is the first one to baptize people, and those people don't follow him. Who do they follow? Jesus. They become Jesus followers. It's a Kairos time split, B.C.A.D. John the Baptist baptizes people, and they don't say, oh, Rabbi, Rabbi. They turn their eyes to the Lamb who is worthy. Isn't that beautiful? The Kairos time is full. The kingdom is at hand and the kingdom has come and has come near. And he gives us pictures all littered throughout the pages of the New Testament. When Jesus shows up on the scene, the blind see and the deaf hear the kingdom of God is at hand. The lame begin to walk the kingdom of God has come. He cleanses, he touches and cleanses lepers. The kingdom of God has come. He liberates those who are being held captive by demonic powers. The kingdom of God has come. There's a new order that's breaking into the present reality. He heals the sick. The kingdom of God has come. He befriends prostitutes and then she washes his feet with her hair. The kingdom of God has come. He calms the wind and the waves, displaying and exercising his power over the natural elements. The kingdom of God has come. He multiplies the loaves to feed the hungry. The kingdom of God has come. He champions the powerless, the oppressed, and the bullied. The kingdom of God comes. He stands in solidarity with the poor. The kingdom of God comes. This is God's new order come to earth in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at him. He unites people that the world divides. Check out Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. People could not be so polar opposite from one another. Simon the Zealot, something of a modern day terrorist. And Matthew working for the oppressive government of the Jewish people are brothers 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. He unites people, the world divides, the kingdom of God comes. He fills ordinary people with the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God has come. He raises Lazarus from the dead. The kingdom of God has come. And then once and for all, Jesus defeats the grave and rises on the third day. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. And so what does this look like in our lives? What does this look like in our lives? Well, is this on? Are we on? Let's go. What was what was happening? Last Sunday, uh, last Sunday, when was the service was over, I went to the front, and I was asking for prayer because my knee, I had a bad knee, like for a year, over a year now, and I just couldn't do my job well. And Rick and Mike, they were praying, and actually, they three times, they prayed three times, and since then, I don't have knee pain. The kingdom of God has come. Wait, 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 wait. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Tell us about what was going on. What was going on? I had a horrible esophagus problem, and on the 18th of September, Joel called me up front, and ever since that day, I have not had any choking spills or panic attacks where, like, food's not going down, it's stuck, and you're all alone, and, and it was just horrible. I've actually had my airway cut off a couple of times and had to work on myself, but my esophagus is beautiful right now. No problems. Amen. And I'm very happy. The kingdom of God has come. Wait, wait, it's popping up over here. Hold on a second. I, we can't keep up. We just can't keep. What happened? What happened? What do you mean by that? Did you get prayer? Yes, I did. What happened when you and got prayer? I have no more leg pain or back pain. When was that? I have had chronic pain for over many years. The Sunday before last, I was prayed over. I have no more leg pain or back pain. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. The kingdom of God has come. So we see this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks in. The kingdom of God will break in in November on the 8th when we feed folks and you bake a pie that's just wonderful for one of our clients at Seeds of Hope to enjoy with their family. The kingdom of God comes through pumpkin pie as well. Food's important. If you've never sat down to a meal with Evan and Angela Hammersmith, well, maybe you don't know. But if you have, you know that the kingdom of God can come through a delicious meal. Just warms the heart, right? When you sit down around a table with dear friends, this is a treasure, yes, but it's also the kingdom of God being ushered in through the treasure of friendship. You see, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's come near. It's breaking in. Not just in the pages of Scripture and not just in Jesus' life, but now, here, with us, in Cleveland, Ohio, the kingdom of God is breaking in. Yeah. 
Yay. Yay. And yet, and yet, we hear Jesus speak about the kingdom of God as being yet to come. He says it's at hand in some places. And just like we read this morning when we were receiving communion and celebrating and remembering his death and resurrection, he says it's yet to come. What gives Jesus? In Luke 22, we read this this morning during communion. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes, which would imply that it's not at hand, that it hasn't come near, that it's far away. So what's Jesus talking about? Through all of the New Testament, he tells these stories. They're called parables that reveal deeper truths about who he is and about the nature of the kingdom of God. The parables that Jesus tells are filled with this language of waiting and watching He says, be alert, be on your guard, be on the lookout. The kingdom has not fully come yet. Well, what are we to make of all that? Here's one thing that I'm learning in my journey is that um, you cannot separate the king from the kingdom. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom expresses itself. And wherever the kingdom has expressed itself, Jesus is right there. They are one in the same. So what gives? Is, is Jesus only partially here? <laughs> is, he part, is he not completely here with us? He isn't partially here. He's, Jesus, Jesus is right here. You guys get that, right? You guys get that like Jesus is is in the room this morning. In the words of my wise friend Ben Barnhart, we don't talk about Jesus as if he's not in the room. We don't sing to Jesus as if he's somewhere else. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But Jesus is in the room. He's with us this morning. He's fully here. So what does he mean? What does he mean when he speaks about the kingdom of God this way? Well, it's something in the vineyard that we've described over our history as the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. And it's this tension, right? And if you've been around the vineyard for any number of time or around kingdom theology for any number of time, you'll recognize this tension, But I'd like to challenge our notion on on the definition of that tension this morning. And this is where I felt like God was blowing my heart up this week and throughout this series. Is that we recognize this tension typically in the vineyard and other places as this, uh, this tension between partial and complete. Between some versus all. And that's all well and good, but if we say that and we put all of our chips down on that, and if we go full in on that, then we miss the at-hand part of it. And I don't particularly want to get behind something like that. I want to embrace both dynamics of the kingdom. So what would be a better, it misses the good news of the, the kingdom has come near if we just say that it's partial versus complete or some versus all. 
So what would be a better way to get after it, to scratch that itch where both dynamics are acknowledged? I believe that the good news is that the already and not yet is a matter of veiled versus visible. The tension between what has been hidden and what is revealed. And right at the crux of those two is where we should be living as followers of Jesus. What's hidden and what's been made manifest, that's the mystery of the kingdom of God. That's the mystery of the dynamic reality of a, of a people, a place, a community where Jesus is acting as king. Acting as king. Veiled versus visible. Hidden versus manifest. And there's something in that where Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom to be, um, to be comfortable in mystery. That you, you could read the Bible a thousand times and still not have all the answers. In fact, you'll probably have more questions than you do answers because it's not about certainty in the kingdom of God. It's more so about uncertainty. You don't know quite what's going to happen when Jesus shows up on the scene. You can guess. There might be a few things that he might do right on the regs. But he keeps us guessing, doesn't he? Being comfortable and embracing the uncertainty of following Jesus is part of the mystery of the kingdom of God. Veiled versus visible. He isn't partially here. He's really and completely here, right where you are, at your office, with your kids at midnight feeding time, in the hospital room as a loved one is passing away. He's right there with you in the middle of it. He is really there. He's completely there. I want to get at it from another angle. You guys are all familiar with the phrase, the second coming, yes? I find it a bit misleading. Let's get at this a little bit. There's different Greek words that the, the New Testament uses to describe what we call or define the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's Greek words like parousia. It means presence, when Christ's presence will be with us, reigning, really, and completely here. There's a word called epiphania. It means the appearing. Ever had an epiphany, a, a sudden burst of knowledge? You, I had an epiphany, epiphania, the appearing. And then there's my favorite one, the apocalypse. Ooh, any post-apocalyptic uh, post sci-fi thriller fans out there? You just like love, si yeah. <laughs> just love, you just love sitting down to an end of the world thriller. <laughs> just like that makes your day. Love it. Let's see the world end one more time. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Sarah's laughing because I enjoy them as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit misleading, this, this phrase of second coming, because Jesus, when he says that the kingdom of God is coming, he's not coming from a faraway place, right? If he's really and completely here, it's not like Jesus has to pack up his suitcases, get ready for the vacation, hop in the minivan or SUV, and head down to Florida. Like, he could, he could remove the veil right now. In an instant, less than an instant, 
if the kairos was full, you see. Apocalypse means unveiling. It doesn't mean, oh shoot, get all your things in order, the end of the world is coming. It means simply unveiling. He's not coming from a faraway place. He's breaking through from behind the veil of hiddenness, you see. And when he does, finally, what we've labeled the second coming will be made manifest. There will be no doubt this time as Jesus comes. It will be clear as day. The trump will sound and the Lord shall descend and every eye will see and every tongue confess and every knee will bow because the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. There will be no denying it. And it's just on the other side of what we experience. This is a toughie for me. But it's really easy if you like the post-apocalyptic series Stranger Things. Then you quite get the kingdom of God. Generally, in the series Stranger Things, it's based in a town called Hawkins, Indiana. How many of you have seen Stranger Things? There's a few of you who haven't. There's this town, Hawkins, Indiana, and what these children discover is that there's this other dimension which they affectionately, or disaffectionately, call the upside down. And it's in every way a carbon copy of Hawkins, Indiana, but it's evil, and there's monsters and bloody vines and beasts and all these hideous things that lurk, like demogorgons and bats that will eat you and all of these kinds of things. It's the exact opposite of Hawkins, Indiana. So in the series, we see in a number of different points how there's different groupings of characters and they're in the exact same room, yet they can't see each other, touch each other, hear one another, speak to one another because they're in opposite dimensions. That's just on the other side, just out of reach. If you stuck your finger out, maybe you'd get to the upside down. The kingdom of God, as we said before last week, is everything like the upside down in the positive, in the good sense. It's just there. Jesus is really here. He's fully here. And so the challenge this morning is, do we want to pray this? Do we want to pray this to make the hidden kingdom visible? A lot of times, we, myself included, as followers of Jesus, we want the blessings and the promises of the kingdom. But then that other part of the phrase is a real toughie for us because we don't want to align our will. We just don't. We don't want to align our will with the will of the king. 
And so we want to pray it, and we recognize the struggle of, of Paul in Romans when he says, I know what I ought to do, and I don't do it. I, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and, and the, the, the Spirit's willing, and the flesh is weak, and all that kind of business. We, we sense the tension in that. We want the blessing, and the promise, and the presence, and the goodness of the kingdom without wanting to submit or align our lives with the King. And that's a problem. That's a problem for me. That's a problem for us. And it, be, and, it, and, it, and it takes root in our hearts on a really simple premise, which brought me a lot of freedom this week. And I pray that it encourages and brings a lot of freedom to you in the speaking of it this morning. That sense of like wanting the blessing and the promises, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want that? The goodness of God. But then this weakness or this um, frustration with aligning ourselves with the will of God comes from the simple thing of not believing that the will of God for us is good. Like if we really handed our lives over to him, if we, if we really aligned our, our wills to his, we're like, it's not going to be good. You're going to keep me from things that I want. And Jesus, in this prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done, is displaying to his disciples this thing that his disciples, us include his followers, we don't know what we want. Sometimes we think we know what we want, but Jesus is like, nope, I know what you need. I know what you need. You think you know what you need? You don't even know what you want. And so in Romans, when Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing kingdom, renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And if you hear nothing else, Hear this last snippet. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do, Lord, do what only you can do. Express your kingdom. Express your will. Your good and pleasing will. I don't know what's best for me. God, you know what I need. Can we pray this for us as individuals, that the kingdom of God, that the veil would be permeated, that the veil would be um, lifted so that the kingdom of God would be expressed in, our, in us and through us and through our church, that there be too many stories like we heard this morning to count or to interview that when it comes time for God's stories, I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I only have one. It'd be like, oh my gosh, there are so many, we don't have enough time to share all of the ways that the kingdom of God is breaking among us.
That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. That's, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to live. Where the kingdom of God is breaking through at every turn and I can't keep up with it. And so we hear the second part of the phrase, your will be done. So Eben, align your will. So follower of Jesus, align your will to his good and pleasing and perfect will.